Well, it was only a matter of time before someone sent me their NFT collection. Miningverse NFT Art Gallery. Thank you to John DeLabar, an analyst out of Switzerland who is also a part of Young Mining Professionals Switzerland. And he has sent me his Miningverse NFT Art Gallery. I will leave a link. Look for oncyber.io slash spaces and then a whole bunch of letters and numbers. And it is very cool. You know, we talk sometimes here of how to get the younger generation into mining. So before everybody starts talking down NFTs, if you're trying to appeal to the younger generation, you might actually want a little bit more of it. Jean messaged me on LinkedIn and I wrote to him, you know, this is exactly what PDAC needs. They need an NFT art gallery. So if anybody from PDAC is listening, maybe you want to reach out to Jean de Labar. You know, he reached out to me a few months ago. He's a listener to this podcast. I don't think he would mind me telling that, you know, at first he was skeptical of crypto and has now come in and here he is, you know, a few months later and he has his own art gallery using the Tezos blockchain, a popular blockchain used by artists, the Miningverse NFT art gallery. So do check that out. It is pretty cool and it is super fun and the whole NFT world is unbelievably fun. Confession, I have been completely obsessed with it for about 10 weeks now and increasingly so to the point like I thought I was obsessed with crypto and whatever. This is next level. This is a next level obsession. You wake up and you're just can't wait to it's hard to go to sleep. So if that's what's coming, you know, people talk about NFTs being in a bubble. If what's happening to me is coming to other people, this thing is just getting started. Now, do be careful because some of the valuations on these art objects are, you won't even believe it. They're astronomical. But do check it out. And if you are going to go into it, maybe you start out on Tezos, which is a lot more affordable. Actually, and Jean actually wrote something on LinkedIn, Young Mining Professionals Switzerland. I'm happy to invite our members and followers to the Miningverse NFT art gallery, and he puts a link. The crypto world and our industry share the same notion of mining, so I was interested in exploring how the NFT art world interprets mining. These NFTs have been collected on the Tezos blockchain, which is currently one of the least energy-intensive and least expensive blockchains. Through this selection of NFTs, I hope you get a different idea of the different NFT art genres, which currently cover the mining industry as a whole, from geology to trading and beyond. I'll let you read the rest of it, and he provides a link. So very cool stuff from John DeLabar. Thank you for sending that. Our feature content, you know, it kind of relates to this obliquely. We talked to Eric Buckland. We returned to our favorite mining recruiter. And yeah, the pressure, of course, in the mining industry, the labor market pressures continue. And as discussed in this interview, one of the main problems is young people are still skeptical of the mining industry. So I think, you know, speak their language. You may hate NFTs, you may hate crypto, but they might love it. So you might want to speak their language and get into it. So again, like if I'm running PDAC, I'm saying, hey, guys, where is our NFT art gallery? In particular, for your web version, you know, I heard there's going to be a real-life version. Remember the email from a few weeks ago that I read? From PDAC, there's going to be a real-life version of PDAC and then a 
you know, online version a couple of weeks later, if I remember right. And so why not have a Miningverse NFT art gallery? Who wouldn't check that out? So very, very fun stuff. So as I was saying, we have Eric Buckland coming on and a very, very interesting interview. He is Senior Client Director, Global Mining Recruitment at Lincoln Strategic. So he is very well positioned to know what's going on in the mining industry. He has done it his entire life. There are only a few companies, according to Eric, that are really positioned to do mining recruitment in Canada, at least. And one of the takeaways from this interview is he says, if you're looking for mining employees and you're going to a recruiter, go to a specialist. And he's saying, not just me, there are, I have you know four other competitors or so. Go to one of us because it really does require specialization, which frankly doesn't surprise me. Now, moving on, before we get to our news stories here, we do have a Northern Miner Global Mining Symposium coming up. It is on February 23rd and 24th. Registration is now open. Just go to events.northernminer.com. And the speakers are beginning to be announced on our Twitter feed. So do pay attention to that. And actually, we have two events coming up. We have the Q1 Global Mining Symposium. That is February 23rd and 24th. You'll see a link register now. And you'll also see Reimagine Mining Water Management. And that is on April 6th, 2022. And you can also register for that. And water, you know, as I've interviewed mining CEOs and just people in the industry over time, you know, as everybody talks about the environment, in a sense, there's not enough emphasis on water, I remember one CEO telling us. And I thought that was really, really interesting. I mean, everybody talks about carbon, but what about water? Like, this is one of those practical, very tangible problems that the mining industry faces. And if it's going to rebrand itself as part of the environmental solution to our problems, water is definitely going to be a part of that. So we have an event and you can register for that coming up. So a quick look at the markets, 10-year bond at 1.95%, the U.S. 10-year. So it's back up on its March higher European bonds. You know, the German 10-year was negative for what seemed like at least a year or two. I'm not sure really how long, but now it's at 0.224%. So 0.224%. So they have turned positive, not in real terms, but in nominal terms. And so that is interesting. Gold staying kind of plateauing at 1818 And oil at $89.79 a barrel. Brent crude over 90 So oil continues to add pressure to the economy and markets are just continue to chop. Crypto is kind of back from the dead, you know, so let's see how long that lasts. I've been occupying myself with NFTs happily, and it is just so much fun. So if you want to find us online, you can find us at northernminer.com. You can find us on Twitter at Northern Miner. You can find us on Instagram at The Northern Miner and on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube, where we also host these podcasts and wherever podcasts are available, including Spotify, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And with that, let's turn to the news. And turning to the website, we have this story. I've been holding on to it for a week because we are dealing with Eric Buckland and mining recruitment and company culture. And it comes up in our interview. 
And so we have this story here. Rio Tinto report reveals culture of sexual harassment, bullying, and racism. This is by Cecilia Jamazmi. And it says here, Rio Tinto has unveiled the results of an unfavorable external report outlining a culture of, quote, systematic bullying, sexual harassment, and racism at the world's second largest miner. The company requested the audit carried out by Australia's former sex discrimination commissioner, Elizabeth Broderick, last year. The move was part of an ongoing effort by Rio Tinto's CEO, Jacob Stausholm, to clean up the company's tainted image following the destruction of two 46,000-year-old rock sacred shelters in Western Australia in 2020. The report, covering a five-year period and based on survey answered by about 10,000 Rio Tinto employees, shows that almost 30% of women and 7% of men said they had been sexually harassed at work. 30% of women and 7% of men. Of those people, 21 female workers also reported cases of actual or attempted rape or sexual assault. It's pretty shocking. Nearly half of all employees who responded to an external review of the miners' workplace culture commissioned by Rio Tinto said they had been bullied. Nearly half. While racism was found to be common across several areas, the report released on February 1st revealed. Stoussholm said the results were, quote, disturbing, end quote, and that the company would implement all 26 recommendations from the report. Quote, the eye-opener for me was twofold. Stoussholm told Reuters, I hadn't realized how much bullying exists in the company, and second, that it's quite systematic, the three issues of bullying, sexual harassment, and racism. That's extremely disturbing. End quote. Rio Tinto is the latest Australian miner to address the issues with its corporate culture. BHP said last year it had fired 48 workers for sexual attacks and harassment since 2019. 48. In a submission to a parliamentary inquiry into sexual assault in Western Australia's remote fly-in, fly-out sites. So, this fly-in, fly-out sites, I mean, I wonder, just be curious to see the numbers, uh, how much of these incidents are on these remote mining sites and how many are in the office, in the head office, for example. That would be interesting stat to see because one wonders if in more isolated areas, people maybe feel like they can get away with more. So interesting. So we don't know. I don't see from this article what the numbers might be on that. You can read the full article on northernminer.com. And there was a follow-up article, Top Mining Association to Set Up Protocol to Tackle Discrimination Sexism by Year End. It's by Naimul Karim. The Mining Association of Canada plans to introduce measures that will propel its members to become, quote, more transparent, end quote, on issues like sexual harassment and discrimination by the end of this year, the group's CEO said after Rio Tinto reported patterns of racism, sexism, and harassment among its global workforce. The association, which includes about 50 of Canada's leading mining companies, is developing an, quote, equity, diversity, and inclusion protocol as part of its existing Toward Sustainable Mining Program, which is a condition of membership and requires companies to measure, evaluate, and report on their performance, Pierre Graton told the Northern Miner. Graton said the decision behind the move stems back to Max, the Mining Association of Canada's response to the Black Lives Matter movement in 2020, when it decided to update its standards on Indigenous and community relationships. About a year later, in November 2021, a working group from the association, including officials from member companies and nonprofits, 
began developing a, quote, performance criteria, end quote, to address diversity-related issues, which include sexual harassment and discrimination. And we have a quote from Pierre Graton, quote, we are hopeful that by the end of this year, we will have a draft for the board's review. You know, just a quick aside, we are hopeful by the end of this year. I mean, it's January, unless this was written in December. I mean, I guess it's February, but do you need 10 months to put a draft together? Like, uh, I think it's going in the right direction here, but it seems like a really long time to put a draft together. Maybe this was written, like, maybe this was quoted before the end of last year. So we have to, we don't know that because there was a working group in November 2021. So we really don't know. So for all we know, they were working very fast. But if it is in 2022, it seems quite slow. But nobody jumped to conclusions on this because we simply don't know. And it actually looks like maybe it was November 2021, but I'm not clear on that here. Quote, we are pretty excited about it. In the past, sometimes it's been difficult to convince the board to develop a new protocol. But this one, it pretty well sailed through all along. I think the industry knows that it has issues and it needs to address them. End quote. And then if we scroll down a bit, when asked if Rio Tinto's reports on sexual harassment could speed up the protocol's progress, Graton said it was too early to say on whether the report would have any influence that the member company is scheduled to make a presentation on the report to one of the association's committees in the coming weeks. Quote, they want a deeper dive on the report. You know, if it is 2022, because it sounds like they're responding to this report, like it's not clear when all this stuff was said. But frankly, if there is any bullying, sexual harassment, or racism going on at your company, this isn't something to be dealt with in weeks or months. This is something to be dealt with immediately. If this is potentially happening, this is nothing to push off. Now, credit to the organization for actually dealing with this, but as the saying goes, justice delayed is justice denied. So it just raises questions for me here. And maybe there are things I don't understand, but if people are being harassed sexually, and if there's even the potential for these things occurring at your organization or my organization, if I was running a company, I kind of want to get that fixed immediately. What are we too busy for here? So they are working on this, but it seems a little slow to me, but maybe it's more complicated than... I'm aware, and they seem to be saying it's going quite fast. So a lot of editorializing by me on this one, and I only have a few paragraphs here to work with. It does raise questions. I mean, I think I can say that. This also comes up in my interview with Eric Buckland. He brought it up near the end of the interview when I was just sort of asking for extra thoughts, anything we missed. And he brought up the importance of company culture, and he referenced the Rio Tinto story. And he's almost calling it the next ESG. Okay, so very interesting. And if that's the case, we see what ESG, how it's completely, I would argue, altered the face of the mining industry. It has been the, the dominant topic of conversation for going on four years now. So a few more stories here. Ontario confirms link between Parkinson's and McIntyre powder, historically inhaled by miners. So we're keeping on this theme of Work culture and safety. Naimul Karim is the author here. The Ontario government has formally recognized that an aluminum oxide powder called McIntyre powder, which many Ontario miners were required to inhale as a preventative step 
against silicotic lung disease from 1943 to 1979 is associated with developing Parkinson's disease. They were required to inhale as a preventative step against silicotic... Jeez, that's a little troubling, isn't it? To understate things dramatically. Earlier this month, the government amended a regulation under its Workplace Safety and Insurance Act to recognize the link a move that would guarantee compensation for workers who were exposed to the powder and developed the brain disorder, it said. Activist Janice Martell, who founded the McIntyre Powder Project in 2015, has been spreading awareness about the health issues it caused minors exposed to the powder, and she told the Northern Miner that this was the first occupational disease listed in the Act since 1994. Quote, this announcement came as a surprise, so it took a while before the significance of this settled in on me said Martell, whose father, Jim Hobbs, was diagnosed with Parkinson's in 2001 after he was exposed to the powder in 1978 while working as a miner at Rio Algum's Quirk 2 mine in Elliott Lake. Quote, I hope that this is the first of many occupational diseases that get added. I feel really happy for my miners, but it also made me feel badly that so many other occupational diseases go unrecognized. And the article continues, with 54 registered miners diagnosed with Parkinson's, the McIntyre Powder Project plans to seek a formal apology from the Ontario government and is also working on bringing changes in the way WSIB deals with occupational disease claims, Martel said. So you can read the full story on thenorthernminer.com, but uh, another troubling story there. Shifting gears, Jeff Curry is back, and this is quite the stunning quote. He has been calling for a commodity supercycle since last year. He reiterated the call at the beginning of this year. The closely followed head of commodities research at Goldman Sachs says he's never seen commodity markets pricing in the shortages they are right now. Quote, I've been doing this 30 years and I've never seen markets like this. This is a molecule crisis. We're out of everything. I don't care if it's oil, gas, coal, copper, aluminum, you name it, we're out of it. Well, this is uh, Dr. Lieb, Dr. Stephen Lieb, who 10 years ago wrote the book Red Alert, basically called for this, but he was 10 years too early. And of course, in financial markets, timing is everything, but it is quite something. And you see this chart on Bloomberg Commodity Spot Index, and it does look a little parabolic. Like it's kind of going upward at, you know... What is that? At a 70, 65 degree angle uh, since the end of, since mid 2020, commodity spot market as a whole. So, more troubling news. And finally, a couple of headlines MMG to halt Las Bombas copper mine by February 20th amid fresh blockade. So, they have another blockade. They had one in December for about a month, and now they have another blockade. And so MMG facing a lot of challenges over in Peru at the massive Las Bombas copper mine. And finally, Latin Metals signs option agreement with Barrick Gold for properties in Argentina. So Barrick continues to make some moves in Argentina. Very interesting. So those are your news stories. Now let's take a look at metal prices. Turn 
According to metal prices, we'd like to thank our friends at mining.com slash markets for providing us with these prices each and every week. And on February 8th, my birthday, gold is trading at $1,819.47 per ounce. That is $13 higher than last week. Silver is trading at $22.91 per ounce. That is 12 cents higher than last week. Platinum is trading at $1,011.71 per ounce. That is $30 lower than last week. And palladium is trading at $2,237.44 per ounce. That is $148 lower than last week. And turning to our industrial metals, copper is up nine cents at four dollars and 48 cents per pound aluminum is down a penny at a dollar 40 per pound lead is down three cents at a dollar one per pound nickel is up again at ten dollars and 65 cents per pound that is 33 cents higher than last week tin is at 19 dollars and 67 cents per pound that is 41 cents higher than last week and cobalt is unchanged at 31 dollars and 96 cents Per pound and zinc is also unchanged at $1.65 per pound. Well, as far as the industrial metals are concerned, it looks like Jeff Curry is on to something. Particular standouts are definitely nickel at $10.65, close to our all-time high. And same with tin, not an all-time high, but very close. And zinc, same thing, just fraction below the all-time high of the last couple of years here. So Industrial metals remain very strong, precious metals drift sideways, and those are your metal prices. And coming up, Eric Buckland from Lincoln Strategic. He is Senior Client Director, Global Mining Recruitment. Eric joins us on the program every few months to give us the latest on the employment situation in the mining industry. So if you are wondering how things are going, he is the perfect guy to check in with. I hope you enjoy this conversation, and I will see you on the other side. Joining me today, I am very happy to welcome back Eric Buckland, Senior Client Director, Global Mining Recruitment at Lincoln Strategic. Eric Buckland, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me back, Adrian. Always a good time to hear you and talk with you and understand a little bit more about what's going on in mining. Well, we like to talk to you as well about what's going on in mining because you have a very special window. It's very nice to check in every few months because you have this wonderful view on one of the huge challenges in the mining industry, which is finding talent and employees. You're in recruitment. So the story I hear and you know the one that you've been telling us over the years is that it's very difficult. So is it still very difficult to find talent in the mining industry? Well, the short answer, Adrian, is absolutely it is still very challenging. If we take some of the reports out there, Mining Industry Human Resource Council said 60,000, that was the most recent report, 60,000 people are going to retire by 2030. A survey that they did of 3,000 young people, that would be between ages of 15 and 30, 42% of the people surveyed said they would definitely would not join the mining industry and 28% said probably not. 
So dark clouds ahead, cross-industry transitions jumped 60% in uh, a LinkedIn December workforce report. So that would be example of, um, say, a mining engineer moving into something civil, maybe closer to home, maybe something less traveled, something like that. So those jump, look at uh, mining.com, January 24th, January 25th, and January 26th, all were big articles on labor shortages at BHP or Rio Tinto or Fortescue or um, Fesnilo. So got of creative ways to figure it out, to hire our people, to find our people, to retain our talent and to to win the, 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 the war for talent. It sounds like a pretty serious issue. I mean, it sounds like there's pressure coming from both sides, from both current employees who are retiring. And it sounds like there's going to be a lot of them retiring by 2030 as you're pointing out, and maybe even more concerning is the young talent, as you're saying, like, you know, it sounds like somewhere in the neighborhood of 75% are not excited at all to work in the mining industry. So from the last time we spoke to you, Mm -hmm. is it markedly worse, the situation? And if yes, how big of a problem is this becoming? It's getting a little better now. Because in the last time we spoke, the border issue was a huge challenge in the fact that you could not get work permits for anybody uh, if they were crossing a border. Now it's a little bit more easier to get those. Just there isn't that same combative buy America, hire America issue that we had. And when I say America, I'll, I'll do that across the Americas. So we're seeing that being a bit more relaxed, which is helpful. I think that pay issues are, are getting sorted out. You know, are companies paying what they we, they should to find people? Are we catching up? I think that industry crunch that we last spoke about to where we are now, those seem to have been been addressed. So it's getting better, but we still have a long way to go. So I'm still optimistic. Okay, and as part of that optimism, I mean, you're mentioning money. Does money solve this problem? Not. Really, it does in a part of it, but I think if you think about it, the the generation, younger generation that we want to attract, money is important, but job fulfillment is more important. They are not really interested in staying at a company for 30 years. They're interested in about being fulfilled and is this job satisfying? That's what they're they're after. Money is important, but it's not the only factor. I think it rates third or fourth on hierarchy of, of needs in a job. So I think that brings an interesting point about just talent is talent. What I find some, some of my, my best clients will say, you know, I'm looking for this, but it's, this is the, this is the goals that I want the person to achieve rather than a very specific skill set, And therefore they can build the job around the skill set that they find rather than you only can fit in this and that's it. So being a little bit more creative on building your roster of talent. So I think that's what we're we're seeing. You know, can your pitcher play first base, you know, against bad teams? Because probably you can put in a second pitcher there and be okay. So I think you're 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 building your team like your sports roster. If it's a one trick person, maybe that's what you need. Maybe it's a person that can do multiple things to help keep them engaged. It sounds like employers in the industry are getting very flexible then because it seems like in a tight labor market, you know, you're kind of hiring for these very specific roles 
And at least from what I gather, and now correct me if I'm wrong here, but the way you're describing it almost sounds like, hey, if you have a brain and you like this industry, like we might be able to, we might be able to work something out for you. Like, Absolutely. am I overstating yep. things? No, I think that's a very, very reasonable statement. If you are attracted to the mine industry, yeah, you might, you know, you, you might be pleasantly surprised on what what can do in a good an, an adventure in another country or up north, or if you're driving a, you know, a haul truck, can you drive it on a on a mine site, perhaps in Africa? Yeah, you might be able to do that up in the Yukon. And uh, I think that it's that's the creativity. I'm impressed with the creativity that that employers can come up with sometimes in regards to hiring that talent that helps at the end of the day, get your rocks out of the ground that can put them into the mills so that can produce your money. It's amazing what the, the what team you can build when you keep an open mind. I think it's wonderful, actually, because I think sometimes, you know, I'm sure you remember what it was like. I, I assume like when I was 21, 25, looking for jobs, you know, I felt like I could have done like probably 20% of the jobs I saw, you know, but it was just like, oh, you don't have the qualifications or you don't have the experience. I actually think it's kind of refreshing that maybe that's, you know, changing a bit. And maybe it's like people are a little more willing to take a chance on people who may have everything you need and more, but, you know, just don't have that little, you know, box checked on their resume. There's a good acronym that I like to use. It's ABR. Just always be recruiting. You see it, somebody that's, that is, uh, got a lot of skills, but they're in an in industry. Are they leading people very well at a job? Think of Hydro, for example. They're leading a team. A hydro won't have a lot of skills that can transition perhaps over into mining, but there are people, they're, they're a good leader. People listen to them. People follow them. Be like, yeah, I would work for that guy or that gal, regardless of industry. And that's, would you hire them in mining? You probably would because of their leadership skill, but it's a soft skill that's hard to recognize. So you always want to be your eye on, on that. You always want to be building your roster. You want to look for the next player that might be be on the farm team and the industry that you could could bring in, always be recruiting, even if you're not a recruiter. That sounds like very wise advice, you know, in a sense like, yeah, don't get too comfortable with your team because they may not last as long as you might hope for, especially if you need new people. Now, are employers paying enough in the mining industry right now? Like has, have the uh, salaries gone up, say, like, have they matched inflation? Are they doing more than inflation? Uh, how is pay these days? Pay is very good in our industry. I would recommend any non-mining person listening to this podcast to look at our salaries and what we pay in comparison to other industries. And I think that you'll find that we're notably higher. Yes, there may be some travel involved. Yes, you might work underground and it could be dark, but pay is, is notably notably better in our industry. Very interesting. So maybe if you want to pay off a mortgage a little sooner, if you don't have the familial obligations, uh, maybe it's something to consider. Tell me, what are the hardest jobs to fill? Like what areas specifically are you finding the most pressure points in? Certainly the skill set in, in engineering, geology, those that take specific university degrees and need to be licensed in certain areas, they can be the most challenged because I think we take 
what is an electrician in, in Ontario may not qualify as a electrician in BC unless they're licensed in BC. So getting that talent is difficult, but I still have a struggle at the CEO level. Recent search for a CEO I did, I had uh, five people on the short list. That's it. They're good at what they do. They're well qualified very specific role as a CEO that, that I needed, but there's just not many. I'd like to think if I was looking for an airline a CEO for mid-tier company, Renault, Renault Auto Cars, I'd probably have a lot more than five. Interesting. And why is that? Is that because there's just a lack of people with, say, the experience of running a company before or say at the senior executive level? Because I assume you could, it's not like you need someone that's necessarily been CEO before. I suppose that's a preference. But, you know, are you not even able to find, say, like senior vice president type people who might say fit the job? Like, why is it so hard to find a CEO, do you think? The challenge with the CEO position that I've experienced is that you're really building a lot of credibility on the market. And it's a tough to take a chance because you're saying you're asking the market, your investors to take a chance on this first time CEO. The first time CEO not only has to know how to run a mining company, but they also usually have to know a lot about finance and, and perhaps capital raising, doing deals also. It's a very broad skill set. And you can send the wrong market to the company on a first-time CEO. Who wants to hang their hat on that risk? So the creative idea, the creative, um, you know, really think of outside the box, as I said earlier, talent is talent. But at the same token, how much risk are you willing to take? Sure. And when you're talking about a public company, yeah, in a sense, there's a lot of stakeholders, you might say. It's a big ask to a lot of people, I suppose, to ask them to all take a chance because this recruiter thinks that this is the right, right man or woman for the job, right? I mean, so uh, interesting. Um, there's a, lot, there's so, a lot of eyes on, on you on that. And the interesting thing about doing a CEO-type search, and this even trickles down to regular recruiting, is you have to decline people. Don't reject them. Declining people is slightly different. Uh, declining is thanking them for the response. Are you sending the top the top people kind of sincere and personal notice that has them still think of your company in in the right light? Don't send them something cold. We'll we'll keep your application on file. Should another position become available? What kind of canned answer is that? Gotta have it warm so they remember you. And then yes, they got declined, but. They still got you in a good light. Like, you know, hope you don't mind to reach out in the future as we, you know, continue on to to grow our team, something like that. Be kind in your decline. I think that's a really interesting point that someone like you who has this experience would, you know, it's the sort of thing that you would observe. You know, it's a small world. And to, you know, use these, say, as you say, like the the distinction between being rejected and being declined, like in a sense, it's a, these people reaching out to you is an opportunity. It may not be for this opportunity, but it's an opportunity potentially in the future that these people might actually be able to help you, even if they're not, say, the right person for job XYZ, is your exactly. point. Exactly, exactly. I think that that's exactly right. So when you, you do reject, also let them know what, what other positions you're looking for. If you are rejecting a geologist, did you let the geologist know that you're looking for these three positions in 
engineering. Geologists and engineers, they kind of do spend some time with each other. They hang around with each other. So they might have their network, might know who you're looking for. So it's all about networking. It's a lot of it is about network expansion. Absolutely. Now, we have a lot of students that listen to this podcast. What advice would you have, say, for a geology student or just any student who's graduating, say, next year? And let's say their dream is to become, to run a mining company and be CEO. What advice would you have them for that path? Would it be to, you know, I don't know, like, what, what, what should they do? Should they take engineering? Should, should they take management? Like, what is the path to become a CEO of a mining company? Save some of your money. Save some of your money. Because <laughs> there's good times and there's bad times. And you want to have choices. Yes, you want to have choices. So if you are going, if you just, there's great times and you'll make great money. And then there's times that there will be bad times and you won't make much. But have, your, have the choices to be able to be like, you know what, I'll take a pay cut because that's who I want to work for or that's where I want to work or that's a project I want to get involved with. And you can have those choices if you don't have to worry about, you know, how are you going to, you know, do you have that, that, that safety net to, you know, keep your kids fed? Do you have that safety net to, you know, keep the roof over your head? Those type of things. Be very flexible and think about what is my opportunity going to look like rather than what am I going to do? In a sense, I suppose, like having a bit of a cash cushion, that puts you kind of in a better negotiation position as well. I mean, it gives you some leverage because you can afford to say no, right? I mean, if all of a sudden you're desperate for this job because you need to pay your mortgage, you don't really have much of a negotiating position, do you? Like, is that what you're getting at? Or that's exactly you're basically saying right. it's just that's what exactly yeah. what I'm getting at. The more you can say no to things, the more money you have, the easier it is to say no to something, and the easier it is to say yes to what you really want. And, exactly. Uh, that, that's, yeah, so. and you know what, you can, you can get some of the greatest experiences for, you know, as there's the risk versus reward. Oh, I'd like to take on that CEO position first time, but that's pretty risky. A lot of my conversation is going to be involved in if we do this and if we get into production or if we get it sold or if we get this much resource definition, but I need this much money every month to just pay my bills. Well, what if you had a choice where you could be like, well, I can take that risk. And if you can take that risk, then you can perhaps just have better enjoyment. And when you enjoy it, you're going to do your job better. You're going to have more fun. So I would suggest in boom times, save your money. As far as the people that say reach, I assume people reach out to you who are looking for jobs. I assume it's a two-sided thing. Correct me if I'm wrong. Does everybody who reaches out to you, and again, I don't know if they do, do they all basically get jobs or how is that working? Well, it's a, you said two-sided. It's actually, a, I believe it's more of a three-sided relationship. There's me as a intermediary in the middle and I have two customers. I have the candidate that's looking for the job and I have the client that's looking for the talent. Yes, I understand the clients pay me. So the clients, the people that are looking for the job, not the people that are the combining companies. Yes, they pay me for my services. The same token, I'm to broker a successful relationship between the two parties. So that's a critical part of my job is to build relationships on both sides. Do people reach out to me? Do they get a job all the time? No, probably if I look, I might have 100 people reach out to me or 50 people reach out to me or 
well, sometimes only five, <laughs> depending on the job, reach out to me for the job. I can only hire one. That makes it tough. So, but that's for that job. And we've been around now as a recruiting company for 20 years as Lincoln Strategic. I've been in the, the recruiting business for 30 plus years. If it's not this job, it might be for another job. So I'm always happy to talk to people, reach out, find out what they're doing, keep them in their career. And, and I've said to many that you know, even if I can't help you get that job that you applied for, that you're interested in, or that I contacted you about, that's just not the right job for you. If you're on the job hunt and you're looking around and you come across, okay, I've got three career choices. I can go with company A, company B, or company C. I'm not quite sure what I should do. You're always welcome to phone me up and I can give you, you know, my opinion of company A or B or C. And I'll probably have one because I've talked with people that are working at the company throughout my career. I saw five resumes come in from that company in the last two weeks, what's going on? Why are so many people wanting to leave there? Did you know that their GM is uh, thinking about leaving or uh, they've got this mess going on because I keep on top of the news all the time? I'm happy to, to help people. When people stay in the industry, that makes my life easier. So no, I won't hire people for every job all the time, but I'm happy when they stay in the industry. As long as they're in the industry, I may be able to place them later. So if I can help that transition happen, I'm all for it. Excellent. And as we wrap up here, I assume you work globally to a certain degree, or are you more focused, say, on, I don't know, North American companies? Like, I guess, first of all, how do you see the global situation for mining employment and how do you fit into that? Yes, we do work globally. I tend to work primarily in North, South and Latin America, but we have placed people globally with other companies and around the globe, but the, the, the talent is hard for everybody. Nobody's immune of it. Whether you're working in Mongolia or Sudbury, you're struggling. And did you have any sort of final comments as we, as we wrap up the show here? I think if you're in, in regards to recruiting companies, there's, as we get smaller and smaller looking for talent, be aware of the imposters. There's, Lots of people that say they can do mining recruitment, but really in Canada, there's only about four or five of us that are specialized mining recruitment companies, myself and three other competitors that just do mining. It's really hard when you're trying to build a database of people and you're doing not-for-profit or you're doing construction or you're doing retail in addition to mining. Because what you want to build is you want to build a very specific database of people and that specific database will be, okay, this person has open pit or underground experience. This person is a PNG uh, or this person is a PGO and that uh, this person has this type of, this type of passport. This person has a cold climate experience. Nobody cares if you have cold climate experience in retail. So when you have to have a very specific database and therefore that takes a very specific skill set specific time, effort, and energy to build that. And that's where you need a specialist recruiter. As the industry booms, there'll be lots of people come in and say, yeah, I'm great at it. So just be careful who you work with, both as a person looking for a job and an employer looking to find those people. 
Okay, excellent. And actually, I do have one final question, and it's on the ESG front. And I, I think we talked about this at a previous point. And is there a lot of hiring, say, going on on the whole ESG front? Like, what's what's going on over there as far as employment? Uh, what are you seeing? Absolutely. I just uh, hired a VP of ESG for a Canadian company, and it was a very, very competitive bid in order to get the person that they were after. Because in order to get your investment that you're needing, the banks are going to ask you the question, what is your ESG policy? What are you doing? How are you mitigating the water issues that you might have? How are you dealing with the local population? Yeah, if there is one, how are you dealing with that? More so on the, you know, we, don't, we don't see that as much. The more rural you go for your, your mine or the more country is maybe in, in a... In a maybe not, not a, a top tier jurisdiction, but it's definitely, if you're going to get the, if you're going to get the money that you need to invest, that question is going to come up uh, on ESG. And I think in terms of our, our next podcast, looking into the future, it's not only ESG, it's human resources and those policies. How, how are we doing? We saw a big uh, report come out on Rio Tinto and, and they did it themselves in terms of their uh, issues that they're having perhaps with bullying or, or racism on, on the mine site and how do they how are they going to mitigate that and that may just be the new that might be the newest ESG well if we're putting money in yeah you got the water resource figured out yeah you got the the local population and then how the impact on that and the impact benefit agreement all sorted out but how do you treat your people you don't want to have any issues with how you treat your people you know, that's a really interesting point. I mean, anecdotally, I have heard stuff from, say, uh, a gay man uh, at a mine site, and he said he was totally bullied. You know, he basically said that was, for lack of a better term, the culture of that mine site, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I think that's actually a, a really interesting point. It's not just about pleasing society's needs. It's also about pleasing your people who are working for you and making sure, you know, nobody's going home unnecessarily sad, you know? Yep. Yep. Well, that's, they're, they're your best ambassadors. If you go back to the point about always being recruiting, yeah, you can take all the recruiting on yourself or you can have a group of people that all work be like, Hey, you know what? Hey, John, you know what? I'm having a beer with you or Hey, Sally, I'm having a, you know, having a beer you should come and work for my company. They're really good. They treat us well, treat us fairly. You know, yeah, no, it's not always roses because it's a job, but you know what? You should come and work for us. Let me see if I can get you in. Let me talk to my buddy and see if we can get you into our company. That kind of thing. Those That could be the best, the, the best talent recruitment force you could possibly have. Yeah, it's back to the networking. And as they mm -hmm. say, uh, word of mouth is the best marketing. Okay, Eric, well, thank you for joining us. Now, if people, either companies or students or people looking for jobs, if they want to reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? Absolutely. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn or through our company website, LinkedInStrategic.com. I'm pretty easy to find both on, on LinkedIn and those two avenues. You can call me or if you attend pretty much any networking event, I'll be there. I'm looking forward to PDAC coming this year. Fantastic news. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, unfortunately, a little delayed, but it is happening. So good for them to keep the show on the road. Eric Buckland, Senior Client Director, Global Mining Recruitment at Lincoln Strategic. Thank you for once again joining us on the Northern Miner Podcast. Thank you, Adrian. Much appreciated and uh, look forward to our next time. 
And there you have it. Is company culture the new ESG? A very interesting question, and we will examine that in the weeks and months ahead. Thank you once again for joining us on the Northern Miner Podcast. If you want to help out the show, leave us a review in the Apple Podcast directory. Share it with your friends. And until next week, take care.